Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And we have a returning guest today who appeared back in July 2020, so just over three years ago, which was episode 89, so probably 300 episodes uh, ago. Um, Paul Hatherley, who's the chairman of Pensa Rare Earth, um, who are LSE-listed exploration companies, soon to be bringing into production one of the world's largest and higher-grade rare earth projects uh, to bring minerals used in power magnets, wind turbines, um, hybrid motor vehicles, and obviously a lot more. Um, in addition, they are establishing the world's first independent and sustainable rare earth processing hub at the Salt End Chemicals Park, Park in the Humber Freeport, which is in the UK. Um, Paul's a highly experienced senior resources executive with a wide range of international capital uh, markets experience. Um, a, a mine engineer by trade, um, he's the founding director of Pensa, uh, and will give us an update on the company and what they've achieved since we last spoke um, and the current activities um, and also the, the outlook of the company uh, moving forward. Uh, Paul's also going to be attending Europe's largest mining event, which is Resourcing Tomorrow, uh, formerly known as the Mines and Money London, uh, which is taking place in London on the 28th to 30th of November. Um, it's a great platform for uh, understanding the entire mining value chain, uh, fostering learning. Um, there's lively debates and providing valuable networking opportunities. So I encourage you to um, go and get your tickets. Um, you can get those below in the show notes or if you're watching the youtube video below um and you'll receive a, a discount code if you uh, use the code dig deep 10 all the information's in below so um go and get your your tickets now and obviously you'll be able to uh hear paul speak and also obviously meet him so that's welcome paul to the podcast how you doing paul very well thanks rob yeah, appreciate your time. We uh, last spoke, uh, obviously, on the podcast three years ago, and I imagine a lot, of, lot has happened since then. So just wonder if you can give our audience, um, just tell us a little bit about your career and about yourself. And obviously, those that are listening, appreciate if you could go back to that episode, which was episode 89, um, and you obviously can see how far uh, the company have gone over the last three years. So hand it over to you if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks, Rob, and it's great to be back on the show, and I see that the um, your audience uh, has expanded since then, and uh, obviously we've had COVID, and I think a lot of things have gone online, so uh, it's a great format and a great opportunity to talk to you, and I look forward to the Resourcing Tomorrow event. I think that's going to be a huge event, so anybody who's uh, got an interest, please do come along. And my background is, you know, I'm a mining engineer. I, uh, I worked in a big mine in Australia called, I graduated with a uh, First class honours from the Royal School of Mines Imperial College. And I arrived in Australia uh, very proudly with my, my certificate. And they sent me to the bottom of the mine. And I was working a kilometre down on a shovel. I was on a labour crew, labour ground, shoveling for a, a week. And then I went on to off to mining school. And I learned how to be a contract miner. And um, it, whilst I was a contract miner, I was competed in, made the Australian rock drill finals i was the first i think 
Pommy mining engineer to do that. And then I was a shift boss foreman mine manager and I spent my career managing mines and then had an opportunity to join investment banking. So I joined HSBC and I was there for four years raising debt and equity for mining companies. But I, was, I always thought I was on the wrong side of the table. I was raising money for people for doing the things I wanted to do. So since then, I've done that. Um, I've gone out and raised money and uh, and uh, built mines. And uh, um, probably Pansana is the, the most exciting challenge. It's uh, uh, an absolutely fantastic all body in, uh, in Angola, Longanjo. has got a great team. And um, since we last spoke, we've basically been financing, to be perfectly frank. We've uh, done all the studies, all, all the... Uh, development work but but in reality financing rare earth mines uh is very challenging uh and that's why i'm delighted to speak to you today because we've announced today our financing of longonjo which is the big mine and then uh some indication of the framework of the financing for our salt end project so what have we been doing since we last spoke to you i think the short answer is we we've, we've been financing rob mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Um, before we talk about the financing, I just wanted if you can give us a context about obviously uh, Pensana, Rara, so if you can just give us, tell us a little bit about, about the company. So we've got about 285 million shares on issue. We're listed on the standard list of the London Stock Exchange. We're not dual listed, but a single listing. Codes PRE.L. Um, we've got a market cap of less than £100 million. I think we're about £90 million today. Uh, we've traded as high as um, two pounds, two pounds something, and as low as 20 pence. So we've, um, like many junior mining companies, we've had a big hit over the last, particularly the last 12 months. Um, and the mine, the challenge for us was we were trying to raise 550 million US dollars to build a mine in, in uh, Angola and a rare earth processing facility, which you mentioned in the Sultan Chemicals Park. And basically, the market was saying, no, this is too big a hit. So we've separated the two projects. So we're doing the Longonjo mine first, and then the Salten Chemicals Park uh, plant second. And then with the Longonjo mine, it was a $300 million ask. Uh, we've just re-engineered that down to $200 million up front. So we've got a $200 million mine, which we just announced the financing for this morning. And then we've got a, a $250 million processing plant in the UK, which we announced the framework of the financing for this morning. So um, basically, we've tried to make Longonjo bite-sized and financeable and get that going, um, whereas Salt End relatively was always more straightforward to, to finance. So obviously, as you mentioned, the uh, big announcement with the, with the financing. Um, I just wondered if you could just uh, run through each of them with us. Yes, very simply, is the challenge for Angola was there's not that many people have mandates to be able to invest into Angola. Like many countries in Africa, it's challenging for London-based institutions to invest in it. So we've now working with the Angolan Sovereign Wealth Fund, FSDA, who've been huge supporters of ours. They're our biggest shareholder. They fund our equity raises. We've raised $56 million over the last three years. Um, from two sources, MNG, big fund here in London, and uh, the Angolan Sovereign Wealth Fund. So they're two, our two biggest shareholders. Plus myself, I put um, a smaller amount of money in, but we're being supported by our existing shareholders. And now we're going to the main financing. The financing is um, 
uh, FSDA and ABSA Bank. So ABSA Bank, big South African um, banks, got um, previously financed projects in Angola in the oil and gas sector. So they know the country. And we're doing $120 million worth of debt through them. And then the $80 million of equity uh, will be FSDA plus plus one other, which we're not able to name at this point, um, who will who will provide the funding. And the key to it is, is there's no equity requirement from the London market because obviously the London market is uh, is um, pretty pretty quiet at the moment. So we're able to say to shareholders, look, we're fully funded at the asset level at uh, Longonjo, and the mine is very very profitable in its own right. And then separately, we'll then finance Salt End. Okay, yeah. So I was just going to go on to next, saying are both finances independent of each other? Yes, good question, because previously the problem was when we were trying to put money into Salt End, there was a look through to to um, the financing in, in Angola. So if we can separately finance Angola and have completely separate financing for Salt End with no common financiers across the two, then it makes the two financings completely separate. So for Salt End, we've got a bond finance of around $150 million and potentially UKIB and others to provide the equity components. They generally don't are not able to invest into Angola, so they want to just invest in Salt End. So we're just completely separate at Salt End from Longonjo. And people who can finance uh, Longonjo, they are um, do one pocket, and then the Salt End financiers do their own. So the separation is quite important. Um, in the case of uh, Salt End financing, uh, we've seen the U- uh, UKIB provide funding for Cornish Lithium. Um, are you expecting the same sort of kind of funding uh, for Salt End? So it's a good question because obviously the um, the UK government is playing catch up to a certain extent because in the United States, we've got this thing called the Inflation Reduction Act and there's all sorts of benefits and tax credits and subsidies. So the way the UK government has approached providing potential funding for critical minerals projects is is through the UK Investment Bank. And it operates like a normal investment bank. It's not a government agency. And so we will approach them with a normal type financing, um, but they have flexibility to do things uh, more slightly more different to a, a straight lender out of London they can do equity they can they can do that so given that they've already made a very big investment in uh, Jeremy Rattle's project in uh, in Cornish Lithium we hope that uh, gives them enthusiasm to do more minerals related projects in the UK and put some money into salt uh, what is the mineral security partnership and and obviously how can this assist uh, salt end so that's right so um, the mineral security partnership essentially an extension of the inflation reduction act what the american government reached out and said was look we want to create newly aligned or 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 secure supply um train chains for the critical minerals for the energy transition we can't do that just through the inflation reduction act by onshoring projects into the u.s we've got to look at countries like australia and uh, UK and others, and, and join the dots and create supply chains through them all. So the Mineral Securities Partnership has got a list of projects from each country and saying these are important. Pensana is on the list of projects that are important to 
the to under the MSP nominated by the UK government, and we are looking forward to having a conversation with them in the future. Um, and how are things progressing on site at Long On Joe? And I suppose with this um, uh, capital raising, how are you looking to uh, to spend that money? That's right. So we. So um, we're very fortunate that FSDA has um, provided with some initial $15 million loan against the $80 million of equity they're looking to put in. Uh, and that's for the purpose of advancing the project. So we've shown some pictures of uh, the guys on site there putting in access roads, building accommodation, putting in infrastructure. So um, we've, got the, we've got the diggers and the people on the ground on site at Longonjo. It's all very exciting. And I suppose the, the programme of works over the next sort of, I suppose, year or two, how is that uh, going to look? Well, assuming everything falls into place, we'll be in construction first quarter next year. It's around a 12-month build with around six months of um, commissioning, with various commissioning phases. So we're, we're looking to be in production towards the end of 2025 and early 2026. So we'll be, we'll be next time we're speaking to you, we'll be, well into construction. Yeah, well, as I say, hopefully we speak uh, within three years. So maybe well, we'll come always, on there. Uh, we'll talk to come you next, next year. year. Talk to you yeah. towards the end of next year when we're hopefully when when we're nearly built. We'll invite you out to to the to the to the um, opening ceremony. I would love that. Um, when are you expecting the next results from the uh, Coolio Cooley? Uh, I think that's how I pronounce it. Exploration program. Yes, we had some fantastic results um, a few uh, a few weeks ago, and the team have been on the ground. Um, there are results coming through; they're not finalised yet, but we're looking very much looking forward to those. So, in the next couple of weeks, I don't know when they'll land, but there will be results from Cooler in the next couple of weeks. Um, in terms of obviously, you've been in the position where you you've successfully raised finance, and just uh, off air before we started uh, recording. I mentioned obviously speaking to many junior CEOs recently who are really struggling to raise finance. How do you, I mean, how do you see the landscape? And this is obviously generally speaking, how do you see the landscape at the moment and how do you see things changing more so in the short term for junior miners trying to raise, trying to raise money? I think the key is, is the thematic is very strong. The thematic hasn't gone away. We are doing this, is the biggest energy transition in history, and it's going to lead, need lots of metals. And there's this recognition it's going to need mining as a recognition it's going to need exploration. The difficulty is, is that the people who've got the money at the moment, the big generalist funds, don't like investing in exploration or even mining. Uh, so, so what the challenges for the juniors and the it is for us as well, and we consider ourselves, obviously we're a junior as well. The challenge is being able to go to those institutions and giving them an investment product that enables them to get over those challenges. And so in our case, we focused on uh, the biggest issue was um, getting people to be comfortable with investing in Angola. And there's a whole bunch of capital that, that's okay that wants to invest in Angola. We focus on them. Um, and then with Salt End, we're focusing on those institutional investors who are interested in focus in investing in Salt End in the UK. So I think generally it's hard across the board, but you've got to look for the niches of people who may want to invest in that sector. And a good example is, I understand right now, given that the gold price is running, 
suddenly gold stocks are a lot more uh, investable in. So it's just a question of picking the right institution for the right moment for the, the right point in time. It's a perennial battle, Rob, that, uh, that we've all been through. Yeah. And are these institutional investors, are they looking for sort of quick returns? So they are looking at obviously investing in uh, near production companies or producing companies rather than the more expiration plays that they're not going to get a return for, for a long time. Is it because they want those short term gains quicker and, and obviously returns? No, I, I'm I'm not a stockbroker or an investment banker, so I can't speak authoritatively on that. I can only say my own personal experience. But, but my experience is the bigger funds typically drive a lot of money and have a lot of investments. They might have 200 companies in a billion pound fund, say. Um, you as a junior, as a small cap, you what you've got to be able to deliver to them to make them relevant to them is an exceptional return of a relatively short period of time, say one to two years otherwise it's not worth them holding you in their portfolio so you've really got to say that here is an exceptional multi multi-investment return over a re reasonable period of time that's clearly articulated otherwise it's not investment and the other thing i'd say is is that generally generally the generalist funds they have um they're thematically driven. They'll look at big trends, big moves, um, say the electrification of motive power, you know. So they'll look for companies that are exposed to the big thematic that can give them the the those multiple returns that that they're looking for. Um there's a lot more to say about that, but that's basically the way we approach it. And um we've been reasonably successful today. Yeah. And uh, I've got a couple more questions. How would you sort of sum up the UK mining industry at the moment? Um, I did read a report a few years ago saying that there's obviously a, a build-up momentum uh, that is building up. Um, how would you sort of sum it up at the moment? I suppose what is the, the future of the UK mining industry if you're looking sort of 10 years out? I think it's in rude health. I mean, I, I completely disagree with some of the commentaries. I mean, what Jeremy Rattle's doing at um, Cornish Lithium is exceptional. You've got Cornish Metals that's attracting private capital. You've got British Lithium that's attracting capital from Emirates. You've seen this amazing development, uh, the Woodsmith Project by Anglo-American in the Yorkshire uh, area of outstanding natural beauty. It's an amazing engineering feat where they've got a 23-mile tunnel comes out in uh, in Redcar. These are major engineering, high-tech mining projects. So no, we're not going to have big, bulk, open, open pit mines, but we are going to have a lot of this specialist stuff. And the area that we're focused on is the midstream. We want to do midstream uh, processing in chemical parks, um, you know, Saltan Chemical Park with rare earth. So I think the niche areas where the UK can be good is demonstrated can be developed and the, the, the key to it is is that the uk has got um a very very high acceptance of the projects and, and woodsmith's a really good example of it i'm not sure that woodsmith would get approval in say spain or germany or somewhere in the european continent equally what uh, jeremy's doing at british lithium and the the, the lithium plays in in cornwall 
there is an there's an acceptance of these kind of developments much higher than um, say in continental Europe, and also the approvals processes are orders of magnitude faster, and the infrastructure is good. So I, I say to people, the UK is actually a great location, and you can attract capital. So you know, having tried to develop a, a uranium mine in Spain a few years ago, and been involved in investments in uh, projects in uh, other parts of the world. I think the UK is in rude health because if these projects succeed, it will promote more. So I'm uh, I'm very positive about investment in the in the sector. Yeah, no, that's good to hear. And I suppose following on from that, and myself being in recruitment, what what do you what would you say you would like the governments and maybe some of the universities um, look to do with the increase? of mining within the UK. Obviously that recently there's been obviously um, certain incidents that happened around um, some of the uh, universities cutting uh, certain courses for, in, for instance. But if there's, if we're building up that momentum uh, within our industry, what, what would you say the government, and they're probably doing certain things maybe behind the scenes, but what else would you like maybe our industry you within the uk maybe the government maybe some of the universities what would you like them to what would you like to see them doing because if we're having all this momentum we also need people as well and it's it's far easier if we can produce people within the uk than bring in people from outside of the uk into uh, into our industry so in terms of the opposition to mining, I think there's a lazy crossover between fossil fuels and mining of critical minerals. People say we don't like mining, but they don't differentiate the fact that they're holding a mobile phone while they're doing it, which comes to critical minerals. So we've got to, the government, and we've all got to try and disentangle those two notions and say we actually need the critical minerals um, to get going. This, what can the government do in terms of courses? Well, the area where we're involved with both me personally and uh, Pensana as a company. I personally sponsor um, women in STEM. I think we would get more young women involved with uh, uh, chemicals and metals and mining. It adds a different narrative. And I can give an example of this. I sponsor um, a young lady who's um, doing mechanical engineering at um, UCL. I tried to go to Imperial, but she wouldn't go there. And she's now ended up working um, for Red Bull on the Max Verstappen's Formula One car. And she came back to me and said, he said that she, I now know what you do. <laughs> I was a bit worried when she said that. She said, Formula One cars don't go fast because they've got a powerful engine and uh, a wind tunnel design body. They go fast because of the magic of metals. And she explained the magic of metals, you know, the carbon in the brakes dissipates the heat. The special steels have different torque characteristics for suspension. Graphite makes the um, makes the uh, the body light. Uh, rare earth metals can create electromagnetic forces. She listed all the metal properties, and I think we forget that. I think we forget that what we produce, the metals we produce, are the magic that makes society work. And we need more young people, particularly young women, to be able to tell that story. So I think one thing the government do is to change the narrative, rather than a grisly old baby boomers talking about how great mining is. Maybe um smart young uh female brilliant engineers talking about the magic of metals so that and that changes the narrative and gets more young people involved in the industry the other area which i think is really important is we're moving into an electrochemical revolution 
you know, all the processes in our industry were ba it's basically 19th century processes. They're all elevated temperature and pressure and, and, and aggressive chemistry and, and nothing subtle about it. Um, what we need to do now is to move to um, what we call electrochemical, that's bespoke chemistry, that's targeted compounds that can get things out of solution and using this bounty of offshore wind that we've got to uh, to use elect you know, electrochemical process, get metals into solution and get them out using ultra low carbon, cheap electricity. That's the bit where the UK can leapfrog, um, leapfrog China. So here we have at Salt End, we're about to go to a thing called, uh, uh, go to metals, I think called Yorkshire Energy Park. It's hooked up to Dogger Bank. We've got ultra low cost, zero carbon or low carbon electricity. And we'll use electrochemical processes to not only make the metal, we'll also use um, hydrogen to decrepitate and recycle the, the um, permanent magnets out of the offshore wind turbines. That's the world I think government should be focusing on to put uh, in brilliant engineers, brilliant mechanical, chemical um, engineers into that sector, because that's the future. The future is we're moving into an electrochemical world. This is the one time when this, this island, the UK is full of chemical parks and bad weather, meaning offshore wind. That's the area where we've got competitive advantage. So we, and I, probably heard me on select committees talking about this is that you know this this country had a golden age of the carbon era we had those sort of coal and steam power and that gave way to the sort of petrochemical revolution around the world sort of petrol to plastics now the next revolution is um electrochemical that's our future and i think the uk can be lead that we've got a great chemicals industry we've got massive amounts of offshore wind put those two together and it applies directly to our industry mining and metals and just a throwback on that you know look what jeremy's doing at cornish lithium you know he's going to end up with some form of direct lithium extraction it's a it's an electrochemical process so even at the mining level these processes that i'm talking about are, are the future and i think we need to we need to be at the forefront of that yeah and obviously i've got one more question around this and obviously everyone talks about a skill shortage within our industry and i think you've just highlighted there where we can get we can get the skills and experiences from other industries it may not look on surface that it's an easy transition but like you said you've got an engine sponsor an engineer from um from the, the racing industry who potentially could then move into our industry so i think the mining industry, whether it's the UK or whether it's globally, should look at other industries because there is some similarities. They might need some uh, upskilling and training to go in to come into the mining industry, um, but I think it is overlooked. Um, us not looking at other industries. I just wonder if you had any comments around that. Completely agree. This is the first time in my, my career where mining companies are dealing directly with car companies. So Pensana's got to deal with. Uh, arranged with Polestar to be the supplier to their Polestar Zero project with their first um, uh, climate neutral car. And here we are, here, here am I at a launch in Battersea Power Station with a whole bunch of celebrities, Love Island celebrities, and a car launch. And my daughter sends me a note saying, Dad, this is the coolest thing you've ever done. What she really meant was, Dad, this is the only cool thing you've ever done. 
Um, this is the first time in my life that car mining companies and car companies do it. So we now employ people from the car industry uh, because they are the interface with the buyers. And just just on that comment, as as the energy revolution that the happens and we move to this uh, electrochemical future, you know, electric vehicles are just a, a battery with an electric motor, basically. The metals that go into that, the car companies are coming all the way upstream. You've seen car companies buying spodumene from mines in Western Australia. So, so to your point, some of those car company people are now dealing directly with mining people. And at the process bit, the bit of the process where the miners and the processors have got to produce a, shall we call it a battery grade metal, that interface is between the customer, the car customer, and the miner, the processing. That's that share point where there's a cross-fertilization of, of talents. And so, you know, this is the first time our industry is dealing directly with the OEMs, whereas previously we all dug stuff out of the ground and produced a concentrate and sold it to a smelter and it was a long supply chain. So, yes, I think I completely agree with you. I think you'll see car company people from that world come further upstream towards to bring their skill sets towards um, miners and processors. Yeah. And lastly, uh, what's the outlook for the sort of next six to 12 months for the company uh, before we speak again? We'll be building the, the world's largest undeveloped rare earth mine in Angola. Yeah, that's good. And anything else during that time, or is that going to take up? Yeah, we'll be financing. So, so basically, Long Gondra, we're financing now, and we hope to start construction in the first quarter next year. And as we've indicated in the announcement, the next cab off the rank is Salt End. So we'll be immediately financing Salt End. So it may well be that we actually have two financings done and two projects are under construction. Yeah. Paul, really appreciate your time. Uh, it's great to hear, and it's good to hear, hear you speak about, obviously, the UK mining industry. Um, it's got a lot going for it. I wish you well for, obviously, uh, your projects and the, the construction and, obviously, the financing. Um, and that's sort of speak this time next year, see how, uh, see how you've uh, got on over the course of the year. Thank you very much. Really appreciate all the questions, Rob. Yeah, thank you. Um, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, obviously, Paul, like I said, um, Paul said he's going to be at the uh, Resourcing Tomorrow event, which is at the end of November in London. So uh, please go and get your tickets. Um, there's obviously fabulous networking opportunities, a lot of content from um, a lot of mining companies. Um, obviously, you can meet Paul there. He's going to be doing a presentation as well. So please encourage you to uh, get your tickets now. Um, there is a discount code if you look in the uh, uh, show notes of companies where you can get some money off uh, off the ticket. So go and get your go and get your tickets now. As always, really appreciate your your help, your support. Please keep sharing these episodes. Um, share this episode with people, not with just people in our industry, but people outside of industry. Obviously, we've been talking about uh, the car industry and the car manufacturers, and I think majority of people have cars. Um, so this episode can be, um, used by or listened to by people that have cars, because obviously we're moving into a, moving into a new world. So thank you for listening. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review until next time. Happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.